0: Warning: The program you're about to hear contains language and ideas that may offend some listeners.
1: Thirty seconds and This is you an unusual dramatic program. Astronauts report it feels good. Two twenty five seconds. The journey into the realm of the strange. 20 seconds and counting. God wants to fill our hearts with dreams and visions. T-minus 15 seconds. Guidance is internal. It is right. 12, 11, a little 10, fun, a little 9, of talk and ignition sequence. Adventure in time 5, and space. 4, 3, 2, 1, 0. All engines running.
0: Existential happy hour begins now.
1: You can say whatever you want, because I'm going to edit it later, good. and so we don't have to try to be 100% profound the entire <laughs> hour, uh, although I know that you're very good at talking, so um, I have no doubt. Anyways, so I'm going to start now. Okay. Welcome welcome to Existential Happy Hour. I'm talking to Melissa Green today. Melissa Green is a singer and a pastor Probably an author, just an all around awesome person, a dear friend. If you were a good Christian back in the day, unfortunately <laughs> or not, whatever, you mm. may know her from Avalon and testify to love. And uh, now she pastors a community in Nashville that has an awesome name. And uh, it's a delight to have you here, Melissa.
0: Thank you. That's a lovely introduction.
1: I actually realized that I had not prepared an introduction because I was just like, yeah, it's going to be me and Melissa talking. And then I pulled a Michael Scott and started the sentence and figured it out along the way. But the name of your community slipped my mind.
0: Imaginarium.
1: Imaginarium. I always imagine that it's low-key kind of a circus, and maybe you might wear like tails and a top hat. Like, welcome to Melissa Green's Marvelous Imaginarium.
0: Oh my gosh, that sounds amazing. It's not quite like that, but I have been known to wear tails
1: before. (laughs) Absolutely. This is not surprising news at all. (laughs) Well, I was reminiscing a little bit about one of the first times that we hung out, which was in December of 2013. And I was literally in the middle of a pilgrimage from fundamentalism to progressive Christianity in the form of moving from Arkansas to North Carolina, which ended badly for everyone involved, as we all know by now. But we didn't know that then. <laughs> and I was at your house and talking about, we were, we were standing in your kitchen uh, sipping Fireball and... <laughs> I don't think I'd ever had Fireball before. You were like, "Check this out! It's like whiskey except cinnamon," and uh, and you said, "I don't really believe in a literal physical resurrection," and I was like, "Oh no." <laughs> right? Because this that was the line at that point, the ever increasing and shifting line. I was like, well, as you know, we can believe whatever we want as long as we believe in a literal resurrection. But over that, then you're not not one of us. And (laughs) you said, what difference does it make if it's physical or not? Resurrection is resurrection. And I was like, huh, this lady's got a point.
0: Oh my gosh. First of all, a picture came up on my time hop of our time together and literally just the other day. So it was, yes, I can't believe it's been that long. And that was our first in-person meeting, but not our first communication.
1: But right. We had been part of a deeper story together. That's how we met.
0: Oh, my gosh. Yes. Deeper. I was trying to trace back what the original was. OK, yes. Yeah. So our writing online blog, community, deeper story. But also, as you're saying all of that, oh, just the many ways I, we have shifted. And I was trying to wrap my mind around, okay, 2013, where was I then? So thanks for that reminder. Um, That was the beginning of a grand adventure, if you will. I mean, all of my life's been an interesting shift after shift, but Yes. I was pastoring at a progressive church then and I had been there 2013. I'd been there about five years, I guess.
1: So I wanna hear all about that. I like I just I need to hear that story, but I wanna back up even further. And then I'm gonna say start here and let's go. Let's just get into it and and trace the long arc to the imaginarium or whatever, to the void beyond the imaginarium. But I have an even earlier memory involving you Which you weren't aware of, of course Because of your involvement with Avalon mm. And your very famous, well-known song, Testify to Love Thanks. Which I wasn't allowed to listen to <gasps> when I was a teenager Because it had a beat
0: Oh my gosh
1: Yeah But I did anyways because it was a fucking vibe <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, how mad can God be at me for listening to a song that makes me feel so good about Jesus, mm. even if it does have a beat, which means that the devil is using you to trick us into wanting to have sex and hate our parents.
0: I have, I have so many levels of memories of don'ts in my life, but don't listen to music with a beat was not one of them. And so I cannot say I was as repressed. As you. But yeah, Testify to Love and Avalon. That was uh they recorded that song to be fair, um, before I was in the band. I came in. Oh, so two, you
1: weren't I was in not that an song. original
0: of that song. Oh my but
1: goodness. That,
0: but that is by far the you know, most well known Avalon song. And so I joined the group probably two years later, after um their soprano left, I took their place. And my my favorite thing to date still. Off of my deep impact I made while <laughs> I was in my time with Avalon, my favorite thing is people um, sending me either Instagram messages or tweets or whatever of them drunk singing Testify to Love. It is my very favorite thing, and I can't tell you how many times people I know, random people I don't know, and people that now find out that I've you know been on this journey into much more liberal spaces are like great now I can just shamelessly sing you testify to love drunk and you'll enjoy it so I'm
1: surprised that I have not joined those ranks yet <laughs> honestly now that you mention it, it's like oh yeah that's that's an obvious thing why has that not happened
0: it's just for all of us you know post evangelicals it's the song that still it's like okay this feels sort of good to still sing and so let's be drunk and you know sing all that so,
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, what about the song Everything to Me? Were you on that one?
0: That was my first song. And yes, that's me and Michael Passons.
1: Yeah. Okay. So then this memory does involve you because it was two songs. Those were the only two <laughs> songs I knew. Cause you know, I had, I would live in, in the cult center in Indianapolis where we weren't allowed to have music with a beat. And, and I, somehow I would bootleg these songs. I don't know how, um, mm. you know, it was 2005 and we just got music off the internet. So, uh, I'm sorry that you didn't get royalties from me listening to this. <laughs>
0: I didn't really get royalties anyway, so it's fine. But,
1: <laughs> I was in my dorm room at the cult center with my headphones on, illegally listening to everything to me over and over again, and just like really getting in my feels. Mm-hmm. And I remember this, this moment very specifically. So I was 19 then, here we are, you know, this is a good, whatever, 15 years later, But I remember this moment of singing everything to me more than a story, more than words on a page of history. You're the air that I breathe, the
0: The water I thirst for,
1: and the ground beneath my feet. Right. And just like feeling like the emotion of that song of you singing that song and like the, the way that the vibrations of music evoke a response Mm -hmm. from person to person and person to music and person to universe, like all the ways that we respond to music. And I was trying so desperately to like mash that feeling into the idea of Jesus and Mm -hmm. convince myself that the emotional response that I was having, as I sang this song was indeed uh, an emotional response to the person of jesus with whom i was to be having an intimate and romantic and satisfying relationship yes and i wanted to be feeling about jesus the way that you were feeling in that song about jesus when you sang it presumably
0: right and and presumably what the authors intended us to want and to feel is what you felt i mean that was that was the whole point you know uh manipulation and naivety aside, right? That was the point yeah. of the sing. That was the point of them writing it. That was the point of us recording it. And that would be the point you, at that moment, you know, that y- you did yeah. what was expected and hoped for.
1: But it didn't, I didn't quite trick myself. I almost <laughs> did. And that was, did, y- did you feel that about, were you like, yeah, this is me and Jesus. We vibe like this.
0: Oh one. 100% at the time. It was there was no questions asked and that that describes so much of the first half of my life, right? No questions asked. Um take what you receive and regurgitate it over and over and just try to feel deeper and deeper and fall deeper and deeper in love with Jesus and God and this thing called the church.
1: Was there was there a gap between what you were supposed to feel and what you felt? Or did, you, did it pretty much work the way it was supposed to?
0: No, it for me, it worked the way it was supposed to until it came down to um, rules and restrictions having to do more so with humanity and my connection with other people. So yeah. my, my questions about God and Jesus and the Bible— it, they all started to come up around how my I, I grew up in a very conservative Southern Baptist church, a mega church in the South in Florida, and um, I didn't question the ideas of God. I didn't question, you know, mystery or, or the idea of Jesus. I was saved at uh, six and baptized at like six and a half, and Awana is, you know, that was just like the Bible school for. uh Elementary school kids.
1: Oh, yeah. Um, We know a lot of us.
0: Okay, great. (laughs) Um, but my question started to come when things that the pastor was saying or teaching didn't line up with my experience I was having with people. Um, so I went to a public school. Um, so even though I was grew up in one way, very conservative, very siloed, then being in a public school, I was surrounded by lots of different viewpoints. And even though it was in the South, a lot of people didn't go to church or grow up in religion. Um, and so when the pastor started saying things, and, I, and I've mentioned this multiple times in interviews, but the first like tweak for me. Was when the pastor said, You're unequally yoked if you married or dated someone of a different race. And I was like, "Uh, Wait a second. Like, what? There had been and still remains racism as a, you know, alive and well in parts of my family. Um, So I'd experienced racist comments and racist jokes and whatnot. But I was never directly told you can't date someone, you know, of a different race. And so to hear that from my pastor, who was supposed to be, you know, in my viewing at the time, my direct authority, you know, the the line coming down (laughs) ultimately from God through the apostles. Right.
1: Telling you the way God thinks. Yeah. Right. Yeah. What God wants you to do.
0: And interpreting this Bible, which is supposed to be my instruction manual, Um, So that was the first tweak for me and and the beginning of my questions. Um, And it sort of moved on from there. But I didn't start questioning my relationship, if you will, with God or with Jesus until much later in life after sort of traveling the world and continuing to build up upon questions about like, how does this work with humanity and questions about hell and. Once I started deconstructing all those things, then I realized, oh, okay, (laughs) I was just never actually allowing myself to question or think that this might be a little bit different than what I was given.
1: Yeah. So that, that experience of like the ethical or the empathetic uh, dissonance between what you were supposed to do and what felt like the good human loving thing to do. That was kind of the first crack for you.
0: Yeah. 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 It came down to ethics. Um, I was another example as I was singing. This was probably, this is right after college. Um, I toured in a singing group called truth and we like traveled the world. So I was in Africa and in the portion of the concert where I had the few minutes to like speak and share my testimony. Um, I remember spouting off like Psalms, uh, David says, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. And then I'm literally looking into the faces of people that are um, stricken with AIDS and this uh, disease called the Beruli ulcer and, you know, hungry and poor. And like, wait a second. And these were all, you know. In our estimation, we're at a church in Africa. We're not like out, you know, not in Christian spaces. Quotation, um, and I'm like, wait, these people feel forsaken. They look forsaken. They are literally begging for bread. So that began the questions of, okay, so if if this doesn't work here, then does my you know if my theology doesn't work here, then, then does my theology work at all, or does my theology only work in comfortable white spaces in America? Mm-hmm um and what does that mean and so again like sort of starting to chip away at the very foundation because it came—I was involved in ministry. Like, my my whole upbringing, I felt called—and I use quotation marks—into full-time ministry. And I was supposed to use my voice, you know, to sing, to um, encourage and uplift and help save people and, and bring people into the fold, you know, all these phrases. And so when that ministry—when I started to realize that that ministry wasn't always helping, <laughs> like, this thing that I thought I was bringing people wasn't actually helping and changing their lives. That's when I started to dig into more questions. And that's really been the most powerful ways in which I've turned on my journey and and just kept turning and letting go of things and whatnot. Same thing, you know, not to jump, Forward, but fast forward when I'm at a progressive church pastoring, and I realized again like we're spending so much of this time trying to talk about God and help people learn about God and disperse knowledge that we think we're giving to them about this idea of God. And in the meantime, they're hurting, they're dying right in front of us, they're going through, you know, tragic divorces or um, wanting to adopt and can't have babies, and like all these things, all these actual, real, tangible struggles. And we're not doing, or the the majority of our time was not spent actually helping them with any of that. It was trying to give them what I would now call a, a very false sense of hope, which for some people is a beautiful and life-giving thing that they have this idea of God that can step in and help. And, and for many others, that idea ran out. So mm-hmm. I just kept chasing the people, if you will.
1: Yeah. Man, I love that. I just kept chasing the people. I found this in my journal the other day from a year or two ago, where it said, um, if I have to choose, I'm choosing humanity over Mm, God.
0: Yeah.
1: (laughs) Which is so paradoxically like (laughs) the same fucking shit that Jesus did, if there's anything going on in the myth, like who thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took on the form of a servant and found likeness of man. Yep. Yep. And it's like to say, sorry, if I have to choose between God and people, I'm choosing people mm-hmm. is supposedly the most godly thing you could do.
0: Yeah, I, I, yes.
1: <laughs> but folks don't understand. Oh, they, you,
0: no, no. They, it
1: feels like betrayal.
0: It does. And it feels that's what I don't know how to talk about what I now still deeply feel called to (laughs) without it sounding for some, like I'm being dismissive of, you know, some holy other. And I'm like, I'm not dismissive of an idea of mystery or, or more or the universe or God, like whatever, however you want to quantify it and, and, and qualify it and name it. I'm not dismissive of that. I just think whatever, if there is that, are focusing on that for these thousands and thousands of years, the, the world is still like shitty. <laughs> so right. maybe, maybe we need to take our eyes off the above, you know, and and off of what I've said this millions of times, like black words on a white page of this Bible or various other you know, sources that people want to spend their time reading and learning from and look up into the eyes right across from us and into the beauty of the world right around us. Like I just, I've shifted from vertical to horizontal. And in many ways, so what you just said, I actually feel closer to whatever the divine is and divine work is than I ever Mm -hmm. have, than I ever have.
1: Yeah. That's the whole fucking thing. (laughs) you know, by abolishing for me the idea of a supernatural realm with a a God that I can know and a Jesus that I can love, like take that out of the picture. And when I hear a song and feel that emotional reaction, I can just interact with that experience as it is, instead of trying to play the game of jamming that into my construct Mm. where it doesn't actually work. And, you know, there's this line that is the title of Chet Ramos' book. Uh, Chet Ramos, a religious naturalist, and his book is called When God is Gone, Everything is Holy. Mm. And it's this idea, okay. like you said, like stop looking vertical and look horizontal. and And for me, it's like stop believing in God and just believe in the world and existence as fleeting and chaotic as that is. And suddenly there's space to experience the mystery when you can actually experience the mystery on its terms instead of the terms of the fucking Bible, which doesn't match up with with my lived experience.
0: (laughs) Right. Yes. I mean, yes to all of that. 100 percent. I and so many, again, to your point, so many people are fearful of that um because they think letting go of some construct means letting go of their safety <laughs> um mm-hmm. which is it's all again a a it was a false safety anyways
1: yeah It's an illusion. It
0: was the illusion. It's combating also, for many of us, it was combating against the idea of hell. And so once you let go of this torture and afterlife and and focus again on the right here, right now, what's actually tangible with us— these ideas are actually still here. Like there is, I, I believe deeply in hell on various levels because I think people experience it every day um, due to actual tangible things that they're lacking or um, ways in which they're being treated you know, negatively. And, or I think hell can be this idea that reason should have to be thrown out. Like, no, bring our reason back into it. Like that, that to me is heavenly if there's anything. And then the idea of mystery and beauty, like I, the best way I can describe so much of my journey, which not everybody lines up with this either is, but to say like, I'm post these things, I'm post Christian at this point, not dismissive of, but like, that's a part of who I am, but I'm moving on and asking a lot different questions. Um, Mm -hmm. and I don't feel myself above others that aren't asking these new questions or on this different plane or road, if you will. Um, but I'm also not ashamed to be like, "Yeah, but this is where I'm at, and for me, life is way better, it's way mm-hmm. more peaceful, and it's way more fulfilling,
1: yeah, it's so interesting that you what you're saying is the opposite of what we were told it would be like, mm-hmm. You know, it was, if you don't have God, you don't have meaning. If you don't have the Bible, you don't have a moral compass. Like, if you don't have a creator, you don't have a sense of purpose, (laughs) you know, you'll be sad, you'll be depressed, you'll be just wandering around, you know, whatever. And the reality is, like, the exact opposite. Yeah. Like, what's up with that?
0: Uh, <laughs> what's going on
1: there? Well, explain that to me, Melissa. Oh, yeah. what, what's the deal?
0: I wish I knew. I, I do think the people that were um, encouraging us away from all this inquiry had never actually inquired themselves, you know? Mm-hmm. So they they were um, continually uh, believing the, the lies or half-truths that they were asking us to believe, you know? And so I— I blame a lot of things, but I've stopped blaming as many people. <laughs> I blame a lot more about institutions and structures and the things that keep us from inquiry honestly like curiosity is my chief virtue now, and I wish it was everyone's chief virtue. I think we'd be in a better space, but um yeah i I just I keep going back to I can't I can't imagine if people have tasted this, that they would not want to share it and invite others into it. So I just have to keep going back and saying all those people that were keeping us away from it or telling us about the slippery slope had not taken the dive and realized like, oh, my gosh, no, it's a beautiful it's a beautiful dive into this big grand ocean of mystery. (laughs) And it's good stuff.
1: It's so interesting because the way you talk about it is the same language that we used to talk about Jesus. And <laughs> um, and for me, it's the same thing. It's like, this feels like my burdens are lifted. Mm. Like my shame is rolled away. Mm. Like I feel freedom. I feel like this weight that I've been carrying my whole life of the expectation of the will of God is gone. And I rest in the grace of insignificance. Mm. Like all this stuff And it's like, yeah, it does feel like I'm a new creation because I don't have to like be living in this construct of basically what I think is an idolatrous version of a, of a divine parent who's Mm. fairly abusive and very restrictive. So it's like, man, for me, it does feel like salvation and in my mind I laugh thinking about the three-act structure that we were supposed to have for sharing our testimony, right? Like, this is my life before Christ, and this is my life with Christ, and this is how my life is better because of Christ. And for both of us, my life before Christ was like learning not to piss in my pants because I was a toddler, and then I got saved at the age of four or five or six. And it's like, what sins did you commit before first grade? I mean, apparently enough to make you worthy of hell, but... But now that three-act structure is like, uh, what's it called? Exponentialated because now it's like the first three acts of before, with, and after Christ are now just act one. And here's like before when I was stuck in this, this box. And now my life is different except for now it's not like nobody needs to tell me how to tell this story because mm. it's just my fucking life. Right. And before it was like, here's how to craft this thing. So you can trick people into signing up for Jesus.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. I resonate with so much of that. I just, if I look back reflectively on my life and I just think it's been a journey of like scraping my way out of boxes, Um, and realizing like, that's just part of the journey. (laughs) Like that's, that's just part of the journey. And I wish I could say, and and I know you have kids too. Like, I wish I could say like, oh, well, my kids, I'm not putting them in a box. Like, they'll be fine. Like, no, they're, they're, I'm building, we're constructing things all the time without intention, you know? Um, and we'll just have to keep growing and moving. And I think the beauty is to know that we can keep becoming every one of us, Mm -hmm. like that there's no, landing spot to finally be like, oh, I'm finally here. I finally arrived. I finally have all the information. So now let me just turn around and, you know, tell everybody what I've found. Like, no, I think it's a continual like, oh yeah, I'm building boxes. I'm trying to remember that I need to keep windows. And if I don't remember life will come at me and something's going to help me tear down those boxes, you know, for good or for tragedy that often, you know, that's what helps Mm -hmm. us change. But how do we just continue to tell ourselves and each other, like hey, you're going to keep growing and that's the beautiful thing. You're going to keep discovering and that's the beautiful thing. Like Yeah. That that's also, you know, so many of our I think current problems with what's happening in America. Uh, It's the siloed, you know, boxed in mindsets like, oh, I've got this all figured out. It's my way. My way is the right way. You know, I'm deeply pluralistic these days, but it's not, to your point a minute ago, not because I don't have some moral center. I don't think all ways are right. I just think there's a hell of a lot more ways that are right than I was told growing up with. But I also think there's things deeply wrong and deeply, um negatively affecting humanity these days. And so I, I'm not a relativist uh, by any mean means, but.
1: This is something that I struggle with a ton in this area, where the values of pluralism and kind of harm reduction clash. And I feel this way about when I look back at my relationship with Christianity in general, and I say, for me, Christianity was the institution that that instilled in me a sense of shame as mm-hmm. a foundational element of my identity. And Christianity for me was this thing that was an alienating force between myself and my body and my neighbor and my world, you know, love not the world. Mm-hmm. So I thought that maybe when I got in seminary, I would find out that Christianity wasn't actually that bad, <laughs> but no. Because, you know, I was a fundamentalist and my progressive friend said, well, you know, you knew fundamentalist Christianity, so you talk shit, but give real, tr- you know, read the, read the sure. church fathers. All the all the Theo bros on Twitter are like, don't talk shit about Calvin until you've read Calvin. And I read Calvin. I'm like, yep, this is fucked up. <laughs> you know, I read Augustine. And I'm like, this is fucked up. I read uh, the Council of Nicaea. This is it, the whole thing is fucked up. And then. Now I read like Mary Daly or mm-hmm. William R. Jones and Mary Daly says, you can't fucking redeem God or Jesus. The symbols will always be oppressive in a patriarchal culture. Or you we read uh, Anthony Penn, a black atheist theologian who says as long as you have the idea of God, you're not going to be able to elevate yourself. And William R. Jones says, as long as you have the idea of redemptive suffering, you're going to accept oppression at the hands of white people because that's the will of God. And so I read these things and I'm like, yes, this is some bullshit. This needs to stop. The world would be better off without Christianity. The world would be better off without belief in this so that we can be free to believe everything. But if I say that, then I'm being an asshole and I don't want to be an asshole (laughs) because I I look on the other hand at people who love Jesus and are very obviously good souls and doing good work. And and you look at obviously the non-white American evangelical church, look at the church in the global South and look at the way that that the LGBTQ community is queering Christianity as a way of reclaiming that. And look at these people who are motivated to great acts of love by their relationship with the universal Christ. And so I sit in this tension between, I don't want to shit on somebody else's path, but also I don't want to say that something is good when it has been a net negative. And I know there's like some fundamentalist binary and people are like, oh, well, that's just fundamentalist thinking being be non-dualistic, bro, whatever. But like when it comes down to it, you're a pastor, you engage with people. Like, how do you navigate that tension?
0: Well, I think one thing you just said is so true. It It is and has been a net negative for you and almost a net negative for me, but that is our journey with it. Um, and I, I literally have had, so much of the same feelings as I, um, long before I went to actual seminary, I was in a very, uh, uh, mind forward church, if you will, that was focused on teaching and focused on reading and, and focus on learning. And so I was exposed to progressive Christianity for the first time, starting in like 2009, um, and that took me just on a deep journey. Like maybe there's actually other beautiful ways that this religion can play out um, for good. Right. And for better. And I was a part of, you know, a transformative moment. Um, even in our church, it was a post evangelical church and we ended up um, turning LGBTQ inclusive, um, which was a huge deal in Nashville and in the South and, you know, made national news with the handful of other evangelical churches that also chose to do so. And that part of my Christian journey was a healing, transformative, um, a generative space then uh, for people. And I'm so thankful that I was a part of that but then for me, and talk about my journey, again, with Christianity, I also found that so much of even that progressive church and that progressive space and the various festivals and whatnot that you and I have been a part of, um, that it's still lacking. And it was still predominantly white, too, to be very clear about who I'm talking about, even with my journey Um But there were so many failures, Backed again, about assigning blame in the structures of the institution that sort of set everyone from the people in charge, if you will, down to the people in the community. Like it set all of us up, I feel, for failure and for a diminished life, Um, a diminished working life, a diminished life as being a part of the congregation and community. Like I saw issues in the structures. And when I realized those structures for me were not going to give, it was not going to give that you know, that space, those windows, if you will, that I was talking about a minute ago, that's when I found my way out. That was three and a half years ago for me to peacefully leave the institution, that church, and not be part of it altogether. That being said, I went to seminary after that and just got my Master's of Divinity. First of all, that's where I became peacefully saying I'm post Christian, like was during my time in seminary. Um, but also, I was exposed to uh, specifically most the transformative thing for me was being exposed to womanist um, preachers and authors and leaders, and, and womanist are um, can be described as black female theologians, if you will, although not all black females are womanist. And that could be another discussion for someone else to teach you on, teach whoever listeners. Um, But I say that to say, like, I realized I'm out, I may be out to help a bunch of people that feel no longer wanting to be a part of institutional religious spaces, and it ran out for them. And I'm happy to help lead pastor walk alongside those people. I'm also peaceful that there are still a bunch of people, white and people of color, that find great peace in um, the most liberal, the most progressive, the most uh, generative Christian spaces. And so I I think they still exist. I feel that tension that you're feeling. But I also know, like you said, not not only of good people that are still in those spaces, but good people trying to do really good hard work um, and justice work. And so if you, again, if you seem to be chasing people, but you're within the bounds or or within the, the, you know, space of religion, but you're still putting people forward, then I'm like, go for it. Like we all need all the help we can get to make this world better. But here's my but, if if I know you and I'm part of your life and you're a part of a institutional space that is not people forward, including me seeing it reflecting in your life that you don't put yourself forward, like you don't understand your own worth and magic, much less your connection to the world around you and your responsibility, then, yeah, I will speak up and speak in um, and stand up against that. But otherwise, I- I'm fine to step back and let them do their work.
1: You talked a minute ago about, um, getting to a point in seminary where you were able to identify as, as post-Christian, was there a, a moment where you and Jesus broke up? (laughs) Like what happened to that relationship that you, that you had, or that feeling of relationship that you had, how did that end?
0: I mean, it was a slow process that started long before I left the church, um, and I think it was the more I continued to learn over the years about this Bible, which ultimately, no matter how I, you know, professed my faith, for me, the, the faith I was given as a young child that continued with me into early adulthood, was ultimately Bible first, before God, before Jesus, you know, before anything else. It was ultimately— Well,
1: I mean, how could you know God or Jesus except (laughs) through the Bible?
0: Right. Right. That was the only way. So once I started then disentangling the truths I had been taught and believed about this book and realizing much more that it's a you know a library of stories and that uh there was some historicity in it and and a lot of not a lot of fiction some of that fiction being you know what I could consider wisdom literature that could try to teach us things and others in it that are just sad um, toxic stories that we reiterate, and it's not helping anybody to reiterate these things. Um, once I learned, like so much of the Jewish faith is about doing midrash with these stories and and using your imagination and pulling out what you will, or adding to it, or you know taking away from it. Just once, I felt all that room right with this book. Um, then that gave way to, okay, let me then renegotiate where I have and why I have my views I do about Jesus and about God and then about humanity. And so it was just a slow letting go of all those previous notions. And honestly, the idea that, again, I'm back to the idea that my whole Christian journey was fed to me that my my life, my focus, my... Uh, My work, it all needed to be about worshiping and giving my life to a God and therefore spending time talking to that God, spending that time studying about, you know, Jesus and his life and his work, but not a lot of focus, you know, my work then in turn was helping other people to do that very thing, not necessarily helping people (laughs) to understand their own worth and, and, you know, the work that we need to do to help humanity and the world and the natural world. So anyways, it just it was a slow breakup, if you will. And it's I don't even consider it a breakup because I feel like the person on the other end never did anything to dishonor me. I think the person of Jesus that I know in in the, some of the stories that I've read seem like a pretty amazing, badass dude, you know, 2000 years ago. And so I don't think he's been trying to me for 2000 years. I think he did his work and the work that he did in the world continues to reverberate and the energy is connected to all of us. And in that ways, I feel connected to this story and this person of Jesus. But in other ways, I just feel like, hey, it's time to again, put as much focus again on people across the table from me, across the screen from me, as I did into this book, this person and this idea of God.
1: Which so obviously and ironically was Jesus's fucking premise.
0: Right, right.
1: In as much as you've done to the least of these, you've done to me.
0: Again, I am open to lots of discussion about who Jesus was and and what he did and how that now affects us. I just, I don't spend a lot of time thinking about it anymore. Yeah. Just because I feel like my plate is full with, again, trying to either unlearn or learn new things about you know, humanity and, and even spirituality and the ways in which there's, there's a, you know, a thousand, a million different ways that people have tried to tap into the divine the in ways that have been generative for them. And I'm very interested in learning those ways and and not trying to appropriate them, but just being, you know, delighted to figure out how other people have tried to tap into like the mystery of the world. I feel like that's a lot to take on. I feel like just the justice, the arena of justice that is needed on our own soil, much less than the rest of the world, is a full plate um, for individuals to take on and to work towards. I just I just think there's there's more work to be done than to spend time focusing on those things. That's me.
1: It's so interesting uh, that we once thought the best way to encounter the divine was to only learn from one source. Oh, yeah. Like, what are the odds that you would guess correctly the right source? Very slim. <laughs> like, right. if you want to know anything about something, study what everybody has to say about it. Right. Like, learn from the philosophers and learn from the poets and learn from the Buddhists and the the, the Christians and the Greeks and, you know, the Jewish tradition and all of it. You learn from the margins and, and it's so, so big backwards now to get outside of that and be like, yeah, we really thought that reading a very limited perspective of the world would give us the most accurate way of engaging with the world.
0: And, and for so many of us, we've missed out on the world and the beauty of the world during that time and that process. Like I, I think the first thing I started to do more. So when I started letting go of all of these things was to start like figuring out how to cherish my everyday, like, how do I start paying attention to just the little everyday things and, and being a mother and being a a partner and, and being outside and just feeling the grass underneath my feet. And, and I'm, I'm huge into nature and, and animals speak, so clearly to me on various levels of the beauty of mystery and our connection. And so I just, those were the beginning little tweaks. And I thought, gosh, I've spent so much of my life, I'd had an inclination, like towards wanting to be more in nature and to spend more time with animals, but I didn't take any of that like it was some serious part of what my life should be about. And now I'm like, oh, it's all it's all supposed to be part of what my life has been about. And, and I miss so much of that. And so that, that's the kind of stuff I'm trying to teach my kids now.
1: I've had so much of the same experience of like, once I've removed the pressure to please a supernatural entity, then I was able to to engage much more fully in my actual life because, Mm -hmm. you know, we were taught love, not the world. This world is not our home. We're just passing through. I'll fly away. O glory. Right. Mm
0: -hmm. And all
1: these things that say the materiality of your actual embodied existence is ultimately meaningless. And the only thing that matters is the afterlife, you know, and it's so weird because people used to get irritated with me for being a nihilist when I was a teenager. They're like, oh, Micah's so cynical. Oh, Micah's a nihilist. Micah says life has no point. Woo, woo, woo. But it's the same shit that they were teaching. Like, Nietzsche was mm. right. Christianity mm. in that form makes it, they literally say, this life is pointless, couched in the context of there's another life that is the real point, yeah. but literally that, for me, the experiential reality was like, yeah, this life is pointless if this is the real shit. A question that I wanted to ask you is so you got to a point at seminary um where you were ready to call yourself post-Christian. And, you know, you and I met through the Progressive Christian scene. And mm-hmm. have every time we've um, you know, run into each other at wild goose and stuff, like the progressive Christian was a scene that felt like home for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And The people there um, were and still are are some of the dearest friends. And it was like, there was a place to belong. There was a place to make connections. There was places to learn, you know, there was discourse. There was the opportunity for, um, you know, speaking, writing, these kind of things. There was like a scene. Did it feel like a loss when you realized that wasn't your home anymore? Or does it is it still your home? Maybe I shouldn't make that assumption.
0: No, no, no. It's not still my home. Um I mean my the bigger loss for me when I left Progressive Christian Spaces that was tied to me also leaving this church that I had effectively co-pastored for 8 years. Mm. But again, I think my deepest pain was in losing the community because when I left, there was a narrative shifted of me that I was no longer Christian or about Jesus. When ultimately, for all the reasons we've already discussed, I actually felt I was more in line with that tradition of Jesus than I've ever been.
1: Yes. Talk about that. Talk about that. Because I (laughs) feel that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I deeply feel and I, I felt this uh six months before i left the church i just felt like if i'm following jesus anywhere it's out of the church and yes. that's exactly the direction i need to be going and and i think whatever spirit you know uh, again i'm a uh i think what jesus did 2000 years ago reverberates within the earth and we're all connected and this energy is connected so whatever that energy is encouraging me to do and all of us i was trusting that it was like no 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 let's get out of this institutional space where people are still being boxed in and again prominently white family progressive space. So anyways, when I willfully left all of that and had to leave that community, a lot of those people felt like, well the narrative just was Melissa's not about Jesus, and I felt unseen for the first time in a very long time. And I am an 8 on the Enneagram. I um have always been uh deeply confident in who I am and what I stand for, but one of my greatest pains is when I feel like like I'm fine if you don't like me, if you actually know me and you don't like me, you don't want to be around me. But if you have a view of me that's not actually me and you don't like me, like that hurts me deeper than anything. And so I feel like so many in that church that I left have a view of me that was told and or assumed that is not really me and um, that's part of the breakup, if you will, that is the most painful. Um, when I when I left that home then of that church and really that home that was so nurturing for so long of progressive Christianity in the spaces, that that's more the thing that pains me.
1: Well, it's that line that that I encountered in my mind when you said way back in the day, I don't believe in a little re- resurrection. I'm like, oh, is she one of us or is she one of them? Mm. And I, I feel like even though the line is shifted, you know, and it's always obvious where the line is for a lot of churches. It's gay (laughs) inclusion for a lot of churches. It was hell, as we saw with Rob Bell and John Piper, you know, um, but even for many of our progressive Christians, that line is Jesus or that line is God. And if you say you know, I love the way that you phrased it, that you followed Jesus out of that institution. You know, I, the way that I tell the is uh, at the borders of orthodoxy, God lets go of my hand. It says, you must go on without me. Mm-hmm. But the, the same idea is that there's the same thing that called us to break those small boxes, called us to break that bigger box of even progressive Christianity or theistic belief or, or Jesus or whatever. Um, but that idea that, even the people who were progressive um, or who were our community, when they look at us now, even though they're beyond us, them dichotomies, they're still like, oh, Melissa is no longer one of us. She's one of them now.
0: Right, right. And yes, and I feel that. And to add to that, I also think even people in progressive spaces, because I no longer use the primary resources of the Bible and or Christian language to help people, then I'm all of a sudden in a different box than they're in too. And so it's, it's like, well, we have less in common, although we're still doing the same work. And I think that less in common. So like, then I'm not, I don't get the phone calls, you know, Hey, come speak at the conference. Cause I'm not using their tool set, which is fine. You know, it's fine. I, I get it. I think it's funny, but I get it. <laughs> so. I mean, it's
1: also very sad. It's it's funny and it's sad. I think, you know, because it's the same fucking intuition. It's the same spirit reverberating through the earth, like you said. But it's not yeah. the same. It's not like, oh, yeah, we just believe in the universal Christ. It's like, no, it's like, at least for me anyways, like, Christ is not the central story of my spirituality in any shape anymore. But right. that doesn't mean that I'm not the same person who was always earnestly and authentically in those spaces as a Christian. You right.
0: Know? Yeah. I don't know. I want to say like, ideally, oh, we fit in the world and that's, it's a big, broad, beautiful space that can feel really lonely at times too.
1: Yeah. And I think that for me, certainly, as well as for um, many other folks who are on similar journeys It can kind of feel like, you know, when we were first started uh, deconstructing evangelicalism and asking questions about hell and asking questions about inerrancy and patriarchy and, you know, gender and sexuality, all this stuff, it felt like very, very, very lonely like mm. in the communities where you were in, those questions were not asked, and if you ask those questions, you weren't one of us. And then we may have found some sort of a home in progressive Christianity. You know, we found Rachel Held Evans, uh, mm. we found Wild Goose, we found um, you know Brian McLaren or Rob Bell or whoever it was. You know, we we go down the paths we go down. Um, we found. Uh, Richard Rohr, the universal Christ, and and these ways of um, using the language uh, that had been harmful and using it in, in a way that was positive and a community. Um, and, you know, maybe that community was only Twitter or only, you know, hmm. hashtag ex-evangelical or whatever, but it was some kind of community. But then those who find themselves called to go beyond that box and say, I'm going to go into something that I don't know, functionally could be called atheism or whatever, Mm -hmm. or pantheism or paganism. uh, It feels like You were alone as an evangelical and then you found a deconstruction community or or a post-evangelical community, but now you go outside that box and you've lost that and you're back in the same place you started saying, this is where I feel called to be and my curiosity Mm -hmm. has led me to this place of authentic spirituality, but where do people like me gather like, what rituals do we do? Where's our fucking conferences? Like, what music mm. do we listen to? There's like, where's the. <laughs> and we have, we can build all that from scratch, which is super fun, but also very lonely. So,
0: okay. Oh, two things. I have two different tracks. So, I, I want to talk about first. Gosh, I'm just wondering, Micah, if maybe we were fed this lie that feeling at home, like I felt at home as a part of my Christian church community, but it was also a very exclusive group and it fed into the idea of us versus them, like whether I wanted to or not. And the same thing honestly happened as I got in a progressive Christian circle, although that felt broader and wider. And for all the beautiful reasons you just mentioned, like we felt like we weren't alone, we were deconstructing together, we could lean into it each other. All of a sudden, I think for me, I realized, but this isn't the end of like the movement. Like, I think I'm supposed to continually keep moving. Like, I don't know that I'm actually meant to settle. And I think I feel that now more than ever. And so maybe it's less of we're supposed to settle. Like we're supposed to find this group and it be the end and then that's it and we're done. And, And like, that's the point. Like maybe it's that we find our groups along the way that keep motivating us to keep moving, and then like so. Right now, I'm like moving to find some new group, or or maybe that's maybe I'm just moving, and hopefully people will join me in the process. But that idea that home is supposed to be within a group versus understanding home should be like me actually knowing my true self and trusting myself that I'm exactly as I should be, and that I will continue to become. And like that's the beautiful thing. I think part of the lies that so many of humanity has been told and we bought into is that our worth like our value and what i consider our magic like the fact that we think we need to get that from any other source be it a, a god source and or someone else telling us you know what we're worth is part of the problem i think right now in life period across the board so that's a whole thing second though the idea of like what about for the rest of us that like yes i left Religion and I left, you know, uh, a community of people, and I still long to have that. That's so much of why we started Imaginarium to begin with. It was to create a space, and we use that word very intentionally a space for people to come together and imagine a better world and then intentionally make it so. Like the action piece is also very intentional use of language that we come together to discuss things. We have rituals that we do. We meet every other Sunday online right now but we have rituals that we do that we call spiritual practices because I believe life is spiritual, not because we're praying to or asking something of something outside of ourselves, but we remind ourselves to name the good. We remind ourselves of our inherent worth. Um, we do a naming practice where we, uh, by introducing ourselves and our pronouns and where we're at, we're also asking people to take up your space, um, that where some of us are not used to doing. And also for others of us to not take up more than your space because other people need room to talk and, uh, in, Engage with each other, so we do spiritual practices, and then we do a teaching of some sort, and then we always do dialogue. So it's not just about the teacher becomes the end all be all you know, bearer of wisdom. It's like, hey, let me introduce you to something and then let's discuss it, push back on it. You add to it or take away from it. And so all that to say, like, yeah, that's exactly what Imaginarium's doing for the reasons you mentioned with all the while realizing like, hey, we'll shape as we go. So if we start doing some things wrong, we're trying not to build boxes around this. We're trying to say, Let's be like malleable and, uh, go with the flow and understand like when we need to change, when we make mistakes, how we need to grow, like do things different. Like there's just all of that's trying to be built into this nonprofit thing that I co-founded and and run with a group of people. And we're figuring out as we go,
1: man, I, I know I've told you this before, but I, if you ever want to start a Minneapolis campus, of the imaginarium <laughs> that speaks to me so much, and and uh, you know, I'm out here without God or the Bible per se, but I still feel called to be a pastor and, mm, yeah. and called specifically to be a pastor for other people like me and you who don't. Mm-hmm. Aren't able to believe that anymore, even if we wanted to, um, which isn't really relevant because you just ultimately believe what you believe. You can't control that necessarily. And, you know, that's why I'm in seminary. I'm getting the MDiv so that I can actually be qualified, not like Justin Bieber, who's just going to go start, <laughs> uh, you know. Um, although I, that could have been me in another life.
0: Oh, totally. So,
1: <laughs> so I. I just am very encouraged by the possibility of community and ritual and learning and dialogue in, in a place that's not centered around uh, Jesus or the Bible, because you know, I would love to, to find or create or co-create or uncover a place like that. The problem is I'm at Enneagram 7, so I stick with an idea for like a week and a half. So I for sure would need somebody else to run that shit, but I would be happy to host the parties.
0: That is amazing. Also, um, first of all, I loved your post about saying like you still wanted to pastor and I said it to you on your Instagram, but I'm so thankful you said that and I resonate with that so wholeheartedly. In fact, when I think about letting go of tools and language and, and the language I don't use. The words I still feel deeply connected to are spiritual, because again, I believe life is spiritual and it's meant to be, and that just speaks to our connection and the things that animate us. But to pastoring, like the idea of pastoring, and I still call myself a pastor. I'm still ordained. I'm still able to officiate weddings Um how I inhabit that word is just the idea that I, I still long to walk alongside people and nurture them and help be a mirror um, for them in a, a sounding board or a listening ear. And I think that's like the best of pastoring. Mm-hmm. And so I hope you will continue to do that and find ways to do that. And I think you already are doing that online um, to so many and through this podcast. Thank
1: you. I would love you. So, you know, theology, right. And you're into, mm-hmm. into the world. At horizontal spirituality. Mm-hmm. So I want to take us back to kind of the beginning of this conversation, where um, I told you about singing everything to me and trying to feel some connection to the divine through that. Um, because as I, as I thought of those words, I realized how much potential there is for that horizontal spirituality that you were talking about. And so mm-hmm. I was wondering if you could take us. To that song, your first, first song that you recorded with Avalon, and talk about what those lyrics might mean to you now, um, with your understanding of the divine as it is.
0: Mm, this might make me get emotional, Micah. Okay, lyrics. Okay, I'm going to try to do this without being disparaging. <laughs> to the writers and or to those that still deeply believe these things okay the lyrics i grew up in sunday school i memorized the golden rule and how jesus came to set the sinner free okay that's part of my story that's exactly how i grew up i knew the story inside out i could tell you all about the path that led him up to calvary so true but ask me why he loves me and i don't know what to say Problem. (laughs) This is how I this is me talking now. Uh, Deeply shifted, obviously, away from this idea that one, I have to ask if a benevolent being uh, would love me or why that benevolent being would love me. That's the problem with so much of Christianity right there. Um, And the fact that their response with the writers and how I sang is I don't know what to say Like because I don't see any meaning to myself. I don't understand my inherent worth and magic Well, thank goodness. I now do okay moving on but i'll never be the same because he changed my life when he became (sighs) I will never be the same. That's true. Okay. Second verse (laughs) We're living in uncertain times indeed. Very true And more and more, I find that I'm aware of just how fragile life can be. I believe that. I still believe that. Very, very much so. I want... Problem. (laughs) Lyric. I want to tell the world I found a love that turned my life around. So, side note. My life was turned around at six. I was saved at six. So, if I'm supposed to be reading and or singing this, like, who was I before that I needed to change fully, right? So... Doesn't make sense. Okay. Moving on to the lyric. They need to know that they can taste and see. 100%. I wish everyone knew and could taste and see the beauty of themselves and the magic of the universe. Okay. Lyric. Now, every day I'm praying just to give my heart away. Oh, problem. Um... Lyric is still, I want to live for Jesus so that someone else might see that he is. Okay, though that's the problem, again, with so much of evangelical white Christianity, speaking specifically to my upbringing. Um, It was about having to tell people again about something outside of themselves and how that something outside of themselves needed to help them. And ultimately, I want to be a part of helping people understand the beauty of who they already are. Okay, here's the chorus, everything to me. He's more than a story, more than words on a page of history. He's the air that I breathe, the water I thirst for, and the ground beneath my feet. He's everything, everything to me. So if I take out the first line of the chorus and the last line, the point of saying he's everything to me, which is, again, is pointing to that notion that we need to be deeply and romantically involved with Jesus, God, you know, one and the same. If I take that out, then I still deeply believe that whoever— If we're talking about God and this idea of God, it is more than a story. It's more than words on a page of history. It is the air we breathe. It's something tangible, like literally tangible with us, in front of us, in us, in everything. So air that I breathe, water I thirst for, ground beneath my feet. I am 100% still sold on all of that in the sense of if you ask me to define God or the universe, it's all of that. It It is... surrounded and in us and the energy between us like it is it is everything moving right now and and that can still move me it it could move you hopefully too that's my commentary on everything to me by Avalon
1: (laughs) thank you that's that's beautiful and I think about this now through the lens of um a spirituality of everything Mm. Uh, everything to me and i think about this all the time now about about death and what's after death which i think is nothing mm. except for becoming part of everything and i sure. will go to meet you the you that is existence itself mm. i won't be conscious of it so it's not like i'll be thinking about it when it happens <laughs> but my molecules will go back and my energy will dissolve and yeah. ripple through the universe and i will once again be like I will see that I'm part of everything by having the illusion of separateness dissolved completely with myself when I'm dead. Mm. And it works for me. It just, it fucking works that like (laughs) that the God that I spent my life looking for that was so far away was actually not just metaphorically, but quite literally the ground beneath my feet and and the air. And that's all there is. And it's, I mean, there's not only ground and air. There's also fucking magic.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: But it's all within the world. The world is full of magic.
0: Yep. And it's beautiful. And also, I just have to note what we just did. I, for so long, being a progressive Christian pastor and music pastor for part of that time, would take so much time trying to revamp and refocus Christian lyrics to make sense of my theology and worldview. And I just realized, especially towards the end, like my last six, eight months at the church, I just, I was like, I can't, I can't do this anymore, y'all. This is not worth it. Like, we just can't sing these songs. Like, these songs don't make sense. They may feel good. You may think that they bring up some emotional, you know, clarity of who God is. But ultimately, we're feeding ourselves toxic theology. So stop it. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, same for me with the whole fucking Bible was oh, like, sure. you try to rework it and rework yeah. it and rework it. And eventually you're like, maybe the fundamentalists had a point that if you have to go Thomas Jefferson and cut half the shit out for it to not be offensive, like maybe pick a different book. Yeah. Yeah. You go read fucking Mary Oliver or, you know, Alice Walker or what, yeah. you know, anything else.
0: Yes. Indeed. Um,
1: songs that. Fucking resonate, frozen too,
0: oh, into the unknown, come on,
1: <laughs> oh my gosh, uh, uh. like when she grapples with that question of like everything, like I've already had my adventure, I already did the fucking hero's journey once. Like I went and had an ice castle and came back And everyone that I love is here within these walls I'm sorry, secret siren But I'm drowning out your calls mm. And it, the idea that like Even after Frozen 1 Even after post-evangelicalism or whatever <laughs> It's like that story arc has been run But another story arc is calling now And it feels disruptive And you know that no one will be a. No one will be able to follow you and people won't understand, but you have to follow the thing that calls you.
0: Listen, we are back to the idea of we think that the new home is going to be then the right home and the only home. And yet there is something that continues to call us on and beyond every wall we find ourselves surrounded by. And that's a good thing. Like, that's a good thing. So enjoy the journey. Enjoy the home that we are now in, but also be ready to move on and know that that's a part of it.
1: Yeah, if I had a church that we would that would be like our um fucking reckless love. We'd just be singing Frozen Two every week. It'd be like, oh great, not this song again. It's like, yeah, into the I love it. Yeah, yeah. Um, Well, thank you for spending this existential happy hour with me. It has been both existential and happy. Love it. Which is we don't accomplish on every episode. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Often when it's a solo episode, it's just existential and kind of gloomy. It's not. It's really not. The nihilist thing is just a shtick. Uh, But the um, so thank you for being here. If people want to check out your work or follow you on the internet or in other ways partake of your stream of creativity what would be the best way for folks to find you
0: yeah i am melissa green with an e on all the socials um and then imaginarium is we are imaginarium on all the socials except for twitter i think it's imaginarium community um, we're at imaginarium.life is our website and you can find, you know, links to the events that we do. Anyone's welcome to join our zoom online gatherings every other week. And so, yeah, I would love for anybody to come get involved and, or if you have questions for me, um, you can contact me too.
1: Cool. Before you go, I would like to ask, um, for a blessing for the astronaut, mm-hmm. the, Astronaut that you see on all the existential happy hour uh, art is a metaphor for the way it often feels to be a person who's following whatever calls into the unknown mm. and the sense of being adrift and yeah. maybe not necessarily tethered to anything. Yeah. Um, the sense of being very alone, a uh, sense of being very vulnerable and, and aware that you are a fragile, insignificant speck in the vast darkness of of the, the world, but also uh, filled with wonder and filled with curiosity and um, just eyes open to take in all the beauty that existence offers us and this is the the way that I want to embody um my time in the world and I think what many of our listeners identify with us so um you know you're a pastor Mm. uh could you give us a blessing for the uh astronaut adrift in outer space
0: Mm. yes um My blessing to fellow astronauts is one of magic, movement, gravity, and grace. So magic, I hope that you realize you're deeply, inherently magical just because you're here breathing and alive. So blessing of magic, a blessing of movement. Um, I hope that we continue to realize all that we talk about and all that we learn or unlearn should call us to move and to act. Um, That deep action is needed in this world to make it better Um, and to carve out better ways. And so a blessing of movement for us, um, a blessing of gravity, somewhat ironically, um, gravity in the sense of may we stay grounded. (laughs) May we understand and, uh, choose to look out to that which is beneath us and across from us at all times, the beauty of humanity and of the natural world around us. And so may gravity keep us there. And finally, grace, grace in the sense of may we stay grateful and thankful one that we are breathing, one that we have opportunity um, to continue to live in this beautiful, spacious world. So may we stay filled with grace and filled with gratitude. Blessings of magic, movement, gravity, and grace.
1: That's it. That's Existential Happy Hour. Thanks for joining me today. There's a website, existentialhappyhour.com. Check it out. You'll find all the podcast episodes, notes, links to guests, merch, all the cool stuff, it's on there. Also Instagram, Twitter, Existential Happy Hour, hook it up. You can also connect with me directly on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all that stuff. Micah J. Murray, micahjmurray.com. Send me a friend request, send me a message. I'd love to connect with you. Shout out to some folks who helped me make this awesome cover art for the podcast was designed by lucas tonnell and the music you heard was by nerd Mac music thanks most of all to you for listening subscribe on itunes give me a five stars you know the drill tell your friends blah 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 whatever see you next time thanks <laughs> That is the extent. That was so fun, man. It's so good to talk to somebody who, like, vibes. It's so good to talk to somebody who gets it.
0: Thank you. You rock.